Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Amir Koningsberg, CEO and co-founder of Pragma AI. We work very, very closely with customers and we try and listen as much as we can. It's very difficult to do, by the way, because you're, like, you're listening and you want, <laughs> you say you're listening, but most of the time you're actually, you're looking to get like a thumbs up on what you've done because it's pretty painful when sometimes you don't hear that. And, or sometimes you can hear like thumbs up, but it's like a very kind of soft. And what we're basically looking for is like, you know, as you do with every startup, we need this. When are you going to deliver this? Because we can't live without it. This is Amir. He's a Tel Aviv-based tech entrepreneur with vast experience seeding, building, and leading technology-driven companies, taking products to market and growing them into multi-million dollar revenue-generating global businesses. He has founded, led, and held leadership roles at Twiggle, Israel Brain Technologies, My Supermarket, Our One, CodeScan, Google, and General Motors. He also holds a PhD in rationality and is the author of 18 US patents. Today, he's the CEO of Pragma AI, a startup that was founded to set the stage for a new way of selling. And their mission, keep sales human. That inspired me and hence I invited Amir to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the way we empower sales today to succeed in a remote first world. We discuss the art of picking your niche and what is required to create something that's not only used, but value differentiated. Amir shares his experience in what it takes to get your message right and how to navigate between the signal and the noise as you scale your startup. Last but not least, he reveals his insights on what it takes to create a SaaS business that cannot be ignored. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how to go about crafting your message so it resonates. Secondly, why you should not rest until you're certain that what you're doing is distinct enough to be remarkable and not just something that people use. Thirdly, that running a SaaS business is a marathon, not a sprint, and how to go about sustaining yourself and your team to move mountains for a long time. And fourthly, how to find the nuggets for your product strategy that people are prepared to pay a premium for. Well, hi, Amir. Thank you for making the time today and being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I got introduced to you to someone that I actually met on Lunch Club, Vlad Tropico. He was a venture capitalist and he, of course, invested in your company and he was high up on what you're up to. In the meantime, I've been doing a little bit of research around your company, Pragma AI, and impressed what you've been up to and been delivering already since yeah, actually a good year now, almost a year. So let's talk about that. 
in the course of this podcast. But before we start, if you would introduce yourself or no, if you characterize yourself with two or three words, what comes out if you think about your, you as an entrepreneur? If I think about myself as an entrepreneur, I'm a people person. I'm very curious and I'm very determined. Okay. Determined. It's interesting how, yeah, there's a lot of those words that I see coming back when I ask the question. But for example, around the word determined, there's many different flavors of it, which is always interesting. Good. People person, always good. I like that. So like what drives you? I mean, what is your passion? By the way, those, I mean, when I say people person, I mean that in the most serious way. So part of what drives me to build companies from the start is because it enables me to work very intensely with really good people. And that human-to-human partnership, that collaboration is very rewarding in terms of what it can yield, right? If you put together the right core team or the right co-founder or the right founding team, you can do fantastic things together. And that drives me significantly because I've worked in larger companies as well, which I also enjoyed, but there's less of that. I mean, the importance of the human dynamic in creativity at the early stages is second to none because it's make or break and that drives me significantly. So what drives me in general? That solving problems, which I find interesting with great people and creating things out of nothing, I guess. More specifically, we can get to Pragma in a second, but that's what's driven me over the years in the different ventures that I've led and been involved in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a fantastic bridge because if I go to your website, the first thing I see is our mission, keep sales human. So there you got the people element again. Yeah. I mean, that is possibly the reason also why I immediately had to click in terms of, okay, this is a story that's worth sharing through my podcast because the podcast, if you listen through all the 200 plus episodes, kind of the red thread there is the blend of technology with people in order for people to do things they've never been able to do before, which is indeed about you know, solving some meaningful global problems at various intersections, markets, etc. So let's talk about that. So only a year ago that the company got started, and I guess it has to do with, of course, the whole pandemic and like the disruption and the change that that brought, well, for example, to the sales profession. But what was the big idea behind it? What was the big problem that you saw that was screaming for a solution that wasn't there? You're absolutely right. The first thing was, yes, this is in the pandemic. And me and my co-founder, who's also a phenomenal guy, which I'm very lucky to have partnered with, we started looking at the, broadly speaking, the sales technology space, because it's a very busy space with many companies that are emerging in different areas of trying to help sales teams and sales supportive teams as well. And then we noticed in the heat of the pandemic, more and more sales was actually becoming remote. Naturally, like any other job, sales was becoming remote. And traditionally, I mean, there had always been different functions within sales organizations, which had been remote. And you'd have field sales and you'd have inside sales and you'd have enterprise sales, which are more you know, heavy deals in, you know, at the customers trying to close stuff. And then you'd have people on the phones. When the world changed and everyone had to move into a situation where everyone was doing all of this remotely, it increased the importance of things like Zoom, but also of other channels of communication, right? Increased the importance of email, 
WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Slack, all these kinds of things. And then the first thing that we notice is that, yes, I mean, more business is being done remotely, meaning more business is done through digital channels. And second of all, it's not just about like automating these things, right? It's not just about, as you said before, replacing the human with some kind of automation rules. It's also about helping that human salesperson who's interacting with another person who is a customer, help them do their job better. And then we started looking into what that actually means. Okay. And then in so in parallel to helping them do their job better, which we'll get to in a second, we also said, wait a second, there's actually an organization here, a go-to-market organization, which is working remotely. So they used to work together and sharing knowledge on, I just spoke to this customer or this prospect, and this is what worked. And another person was saying, hey, I'm on the phone now to this person. They just asked me about whether we integrate with that platform. Do we? They asked for a discount. Can we give it to them? Normally, if you're sitting next to someone, you can do that live or quickly. When you're remote, you need a way of sharing best practices and keeping these things. And so we figured that's another thing. So not only do they need the tools to engage better, but they also need a shared knowledge base from which to basically to work from. And we also need that knowledge base to be dynamic. So that was the problem we sought to solve. That's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. So I can tell you also how we started doing that, but if that's interesting. Well, but that's actually my second, my next question. Like, What sparked the idea? What was that moment where you said, okay, enough is enough. We're going to do it. That was pretty immediate. I mean, when I started, like for myself, I always thought it was very important to craft your messaging right. Right. So if I'm talking to a business a business partner, or if I'm talking to a customer or a potential partner or an investor, I want to get my words right because someone else is reading them in some different circumstance and they can interpret them in very different ways. And typically people who deal in business are actually very sensitive to that kind of nuance. But then I said, okay, that's my intuition. You know, I've got fluent English. I'm, I know how to write, but yet I spend a hell of a lot of time perfecting my responses and my you know, answering questions and sending stuff out. Because I know once it's sent, it's there and it can either make or break. So I spend a lot of time reading, rereading, thinking about it. And, and then I said, wait a second, let's take that and let, let's ask all the salespeople I know. Okay, because I'm not typically a, I mean, I've managed sales teams and I've managed organizations, but I haven't. So I, then I, I asked, you know, together we interviewed many companies. We actually got to around 200 different companies. And yes, it's critical, but actually the way you message and the way you communicate uncovers something bigger which is what we focused on. As these things go, you always start off with some kind of intuition and then you kind of move around until you kind of try and find deeper places with deeper pains and potentially more valuable traction. And then we found that actually the core thing that the majority of salespeople, customer-facing people do is answer questions, handle objections, and they try and deliver value. And that's true of account managers, it's true of sales managers, business development managers, and customer success people. And then we said, basically, well, if they need to do those things, why don't we help them do that? So help someone be able to get all the information that they need to answer a question or handle an objection, and also help them turn that into something which is effective when they actually send it over or when they communicate it. So not only give them the knowledge or the information to be able to answer, but also help them translate that into something that will give them the result they want. So that's what we did. And that's what we're building itself. Yeah. I mean, it goes beyond like just kind of digging into a database and bringing it up, but it's actually becoming sort of your best pal on your shoulder 
There's yeah. a spring in the air about, so what's next? Yeah. Exactly. That's where augmentation indeed comes in. Very nice. So what do you believe is the opportunity if you get this right? I mean, what do you see with customers, for example, already between the before and after? First of all, I mean, it really, really improves. I mean, we're still in the process. So what we did was we decided several things. First of all, as a company, from a, you know, philosophically, we said we don't want to sit in a garage for two years, build a solution based on what we think, you know, go-to-market teams need. We actually want to build this with them. And we want to start touching data as soon as possible. In my previous companies, I'd spend a lot of time in R&D mode before launching. And this one, I didn't want to do like that. So we launched something as soon as we could. We launched this on the first week of January. And we said, let's get to 60 companies using this. And this will do one major thing. It will help them be more effective in how they communicate. It won't yet give them you know, all the full knowledge that we plan to build, but it will give them the ability to be more productive, to collaborate with their team, to save a lot of time, and also to be able to kind of tailor what they're communicating to the persons that they're writing to. And then we'll see, we'll see, you know, what the engagement with that is like, we'll see the feedback and the feedback to date has been pretty tremendous. The way we've done this is we've started off with like onboarding one person. And the idea of what we've done is like, our assumption is that if you onboard one person and this is valuable for them, they will share this with their team and then they will start collaborating over what works, what doesn't work. And then we've seen companies move from one person to 30 people. We've seen companies move from one person to 20 people. And that's really what we're trying to check out. So that's the first thing we did. It's been running for two months now, and it's been pretty fantastic. The second thing that we're doing is going deeper. Okay, so tapping into CRMs, extracting data from there. And then the bigger opportunity here is really unifying different communication streams that organizations have. So if I'm a sales organization, it doesn't really matter today what I'm selling, but I'm typically not just communicating over the phone or Zoom or email or WhatsApp or LinkedIn. I'm doing all of them. Now, if I'm a leader in the organization and I want a picture of what's going on, I want to understand what my customers are saying, what prospects are liking, what are they asking about? What are they getting good answers about? What do my salespeople not know? What do they know? Where do they need help? Why are deals being lost? I get immediate visibility into all of that because we're collecting that information, structuring it, and then delivering it. And we think that's a tremendous opportunity because it changes the way that knowledge is actually created. It's not dependent only on human curation. It's actually turning what customers are asking and turning what salespeople are responding into knowledge. That is a very big and very scalable opportunity. Grassroots emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I got a couple of very good examples of that, not in the sales arena, but in other areas. And it's, it really works. And the good thing is also these people are super motivated because it's for them. And the more they put in, the more they get back from it because the machine will amplify it. Exactly. It's really, really good. And I also like your approach and creating sort of a viral effect with your solution that people start to say, hey, Got something for you. <laughs> well, thank you. We're hoping. It's not easy to do, but we're trying to do that. I mean, the core thing is to create collaboration among business yeah, people. Yeah, true. What is interesting to me, and since it's, of course, it's, I mean, what I always try to get into is, okay, what was that journey to get from idea towards a product that can be delivered to the market? What has been, to your perspective, the most important choice in that whole process? So what's amazing about your question is that whatever I answer now, will probably be revised by me in in like six months time because 
if you would have asked me this like four months ago, I would have answered probably something else. I don't look, we're in a constant forward movement to try and distinguish between the signal and the noise. Okay. So we spoke about this before we started the podcast. Even when you do get traction, you know, you can celebrate the traction because you've, you know, you've done something, you've built a product. Now there's something and not nothing and people are using it. Fantastic. But if you actually want to double down on that and scale it, you need to be looking for exactly where it's the most valuable, differentiated. And sometimes that means that you actually have to shut off other activities. And it's excruciatingly painful to do that because, you know, you've put your heart into building these things, but sometimes it won't be the place where you're going to, you know, you can be mediocre if you focus on all of it, but you can be excellent if you focus on the right thing and you don't know what the right thing is. So I think the biggest choice, I've got a funny answer, but I've got a, the biggest choice has been to not rest until we're certain that what we're doing is distinct enough to be remarkable and not just something that people use. Let me make a small interruption here. Ami just made an excellent remark about how he and his team have set themselves up to build a remarkable software business by focusing on the essence, realizing that it's not only about solving a valuable and critical problem, but very much as well how you can deliver it in such a way that it's value differentiated. Doing something that's distinct enough to be remarkable and not just something that people use. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They realize they cannot please everyone, that you have to create something both valuable and desirable, and that it is about being different, not just better. And you can master these traits as well. And the first step, simply read my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can grab the Kindle version for free from my website, theremarkableeffect.com. Back to the interview. What's that? Oh God, wow. Is that your book? That's my book. <laughs> That's exactly, we haven't oh, been talking man. about this, but I mean, for the audience listening, I just showed my book because that is, yeah, I mean, preaching to the converted. Amazing. How, by the way, I don't normally use the word remarkable. So, I mean, because that's exactly what we are trying to do. Otherwise, it's just not. Yeah. Well, well said. And I'm glad you're taking this. And I mean, also your answer about if you would have asked me, if you would ask me six months from now, I would ask possibly different, which is what it's all about. Because the world is dynamic and the world is moving. And what is the right answer today is not the right answer tomorrow. And what is also very important is just start because the stars will never align. So go do it. First of all, I'm going I'm to get a copy of your book, first of all. And I mean that because <laughs> it's a really hard thing. You know what? I mean, it's genuinely hard. Yeah. I mean, that's what I try to master. Like what is underneath that yeah, can help you build something that not only becomes remarkable, but actually stays remarkable as well. And that is exactly about the point that you made. Sometimes it's killing your darlings and not moaning over it. Just kill it and get on because it will stop you. It will slow you down if you don't. It's super hard. I've been for those decisions myself. Very, 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 very hard. And it's very scary as well because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is because you also don't know what's right because what you're doing has not been done before. There is no map. So it's, and it comes down to indeed kind of talking to customers and not talking to kind of get orders, but to listen and to understand, to connect the dots in terms of what is really keeping them up at night and what could make the difference for them. Well said. So what has been the hardest nut to crack so far? What you've just described, I'm um, literally, it's excruciatingly hard to do. And you know, I'll just give you an example. When you're building a company, you have limited resources and 
Beyond the limited resources, I think the more important thing is limited time. I mean, if you're building a traditional business, then maybe time is more flexible. But when you're in a very competitive market and your hypotheses that even you start with can be relevant only for a particular amount of time because, you know, something might happen macro or micro that can change the dynamics. So you have to move fast. And then what to focus on at each point in time is excruciatingly hard. I mean, every Startup 101 book talks about this, but when you're actually faced with these situations, it's tremendously difficult because there's no, I mean, it's just about managing uncertainty and also what you're trying to optimize at that point. So I guess we recently made a deeper journey into what we call sales knowledge because, you know, although we built a very powerful product for one thing, we actually wanted to provide a more encompassing solution that would have more grounding in the go-to-market organization as a whole, not just for the frontline people. So we built a solution that is embedded in the workflow of customer-facing people. So while they're on email, while they're on Slack, while they're on messaging, while they're on Salesforce. But we also said, hey, wait a second, if we want to go deeper and solve a bigger problem here, we want to connect the organization. And then we had to invest in actually in doing some deeper work into CRMs and extracting data, cleaning data there and trying to understand what we can do that provides value. That's what we're doing now. And so far, results have been pretty fantastic from like feedback from design partners. We work very, very closely with customers and we try and listen as much as we can. It's very difficult to do, by the way, because you're, like, you're listening and you want, <laughs> you say you're listening, but most of the time you're actually, you're looking to get like a thumbs up on what you've done because it's pretty painful when sometimes you don't hear that. And, or sometimes you can hear like thumbs up, but it's like a very kind of soft. And what we're basically looking for is like, you know, as you do with every startup, we need this. When are you going to deliver this? Because we can't live without it. That I think is what we've, I don't want to say we found because we're continually on a journey, but I think we're onto something pretty good here. Yeah, that's always the way I try to explain. I mean, my messaging, I use it a lot. Like create something that people would miss if it were gone or when they come hunting after you if you take it away from them. (laughs) And if you create something like that, my God, then that's fantastic. But yeah, very often we listen to answer and we listen and we already have the solution in mind and we create something that is, and I think you used the word earlier on, mediocre. It's average. It's good enough. It's okay. But yeah, in the competitive market that we live in today, that's going to be a very expensive way to go to market. Yeah, I mean, as a team, we're not settling for that. Neither myself nor my co-founder are, you know, we are literally striving to do something which is significantly distinct here. And we've got the patience to do that as well. So it just means a lot of iterations and having the yeah. perseverance to do that. Yeah, and you don't have to be the best and the remarkable at every single point in your solution. I mean, in the book I'm talking about, you're always trying to kind of yeah solve the potholes in the road, like the gaps that we have without, we are not creating enough peaks. And the peaks is the moment that, that people remember. If you got a couple of those good peaks, people will love it. Right, you're right. And if those are, the right, are at the right moment. So yeah, especially when you, for example, in a sales conversation and you got this fantastic feature that every time the feature comes up or it's being used, that there's something happening on the other side that leads to acceleration of the sales cycle, for example. Yeah, I would love that. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, 
Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. So, yeah, you already touched upon a couple of things here, but since I wrote this book, The Remarkable Effect, and you're a tech entrepreneur yourself on a mission to create something remarkable, what do you believe are the yeah, traits or characteristics that you need to have either as a team or an organization to create something that has staying power? You know what? I literally don't know how to answer your question. I don't know. I honestly don't know. And the reason is like, I've seen so many surprises in so many different domains. Retroactively, we can like reverse engineer, you know, what happened, who these people are. You, you see a successful company and then you look at the DNA of the company and the people who built it and you say, ah, okay. But sometimes you see like, I see sometimes, to be honest, like people who are unimpressive, not particularly focused, very lucky, building amazing things. And you see amazing people build it. So I honestly don't know how to answer your question. I tell you, I think what's necessary to understand that you're doing this for a long time, that when you start, it's not a sprint. It, it really is a marathon. And that means that you have to, you know, pace yourself, both in terms of how you work and with who you work. And because this has to sustain itself for a long time because of these things, because, you know, when you start off, you're sure you figured it all out, but I don't believe there's one single company who didn't go through, you know, lots of turbulence. So you want to make sure that you've got a good team to go through turbulence with and complementary skill sets and the ability to listen. Well, you touched upon a great number of things already, complementary skill sets. One of the things you highlighted in the beginning, curious keep asking the questions, being determined. I think that comes back as well because you're indeed, it's for the long term. I wrote down in the beginning that you're a people person. You want to, I mean, it's working with those people and bringing the magic alive with that group. What is working for you in order to amplify the impact that people can make? How do you get that? I'm so happy you asked that because I mean, I can tell you what I'm trying to do today after having done this about five times before. What I'm doing differently today is I didn't listen as much to, I didn't get advice as much as I should have in the previous companies. Because you don't actually know, I mean, you're trying to, as a founder, CEO, you're trying to figure out, okay, wait a second, what is my job actually? Do I need to know everything? Do I need to be the best at everything? No, no. It takes a long time to understand that. What I try to do beyond like, you know, beyond at the first stages of the company to form the company, to bring money, to bring customers, to hire the team, I try and facilitate a situation where we move forward, where everyone is, I like situations where you have people who are independent, at least in the founding team, up until like, you know, 20 people, highly independent people, try and remove too many hierarchies, too much administration, have conducive, open conversations, um, debriefings about things as much as possible. You know, I was also in the army and in the, in the military, you also do debriefs on good outcomes and on bad outcomes. What did we do good? What did we do better? And that helps you, by the way, it helps you 
be able to be someone who can be criticized as well as someone who can, you know, take feedback as well as give feedback and just create an environment where everyone is pushing forward and focused, focused on what we're trying to build. That's it. How do you, I mean, fantastic point again. And I really like the point about the debriefs, which is the reflection part. And there's so much to learn from things that go well. There's so much to understand and learn from the things that, of course, go wrong. Typically, we don't do both. But it's really interesting to understand, like, why does this go so well this time? You know, what was different? Talking about that focus, how do you keep that focus? I mean, has that got to do with having a really established, clear vision? I try to. I try for it to be a very established, clear vision, although I'd not be telling the truth if I don't all the time reflect about that as well. Because, you know, at these stages and until you reach product market fit with a company, you also need to be open enough to revising your core beliefs about, you know, whether you can be, I do think you need to spend a hell of a lot of time on the vision. Because I think that once that is crystallized and very, 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 very clear, hundreds of hours on that, once it's clear, then everything can evolve from it. And then you have to also spend time communicating that. And then if you've got good processes in place, everyone understands what they have to do to help you realize that. But to be honest, I mean, in the first stages, it's putting in place, you know, the vision, rolling out a product, and then making sure that, you know, what we thought was our next milestone is the right milestone to achieve that vision, and then revising it if it isn't, and then putting a new milestone in place. So it's a continuously iterative process. And it's very, by the way, if you're not, that's why I said at the beginning, it's a marathon, because this can be very, very tiring. And you have to, if you're expecting this to end and find product market fit by whatever, November, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) So, I mean, if you're very... Yeah, you hear the stories. We're here, we're going to have product market in November, then we have traction in 12 months later, and then we have an exit. It's clear. (laughs) By the way, there are companies that do that, and it's just sometimes it's a bit depressing to hear that. Yeah, this company launched, and by the end of the year, they did like $50 million ARR. It's like, wow, fantastic. I'm really happy for them, and it kind of... but. We're on a different path. We're going to get to yeah. very numbers, but it's our path. That's their path, and they're very lucky. Yeah. So talking about that path and like where like your north star, where you want your expectations at the end. What has been the biggest obstacle you had to overcome so far? We haven't been going long. I don't feel we've had like huge obstacles until now. To be completely honest, I mean because I've been through this like quite a few times, I know how big the obstacles can be. And therefore, instead of seeing them as mountains, I look at them as small hills. I'm waiting for the big obstacles to come. I think that's also the trick, you know, address it up front with the expertise, of course, that you have. And of course, that's also about bringing together the right team because you don't know everything and getting advice. Yeah. Yeah. Get the blinders off. What are you most proud of achieving so far? Team. It's a default. Team. <laughs> team, team. No, I mean that. I mean, literally, I'm very proud of having a team who each one of them is like remarkable and i think we've managed to build a product which i mean people look at what we've built and they use it and they just they don't believe that we've managed to do this within under a year it's a mature looking and product we've built robust ai models which are our own the delivery of these models is is phenomenal it's very remarkable and because i mean that's when a very focused and a lot of credit here goes to my co-founder as well who did like tremendous work here both on the product and technology standpoint and 
I'm very, very proud of that. Now we have to kind of, you know, pat ourselves on the back and hone into what's very important for our customers and go to the next stage. Yeah. Typically, when you start, especially in the market that you started in, because I completely agree, the sales automation mark and the sales predictive and analytics and predictive guidance market is really a super crowded market, becoming a super crowded market. What choices do you then make in terms of what do you build and what do you partner for? The way we looked at it is we looked at the sales pro. I mean, our target buyer is a salesperson, but that's a very, a salesperson is a very general term. And then we looked at the sales funnel, which typically looks like that. At the top, you have, you know, marketing automation, or sometimes we call it sales development. I mean, the role is often sales development, but the processes are often automated in terms of like what helps sales development people get and nurture leads. And we looked at that space and we said, well, that's a very, very busy space. There are some fantastic companies there which provide sequencing technologies, cadence technologies, automations. And while we can be valuable there in what we're doing, we don't want to focus there. Okay. Because it will, from a business standpoint, it's too much competition, too much. And then we looked at the rest of the funnel. Okay. What happens after you get a lead? It's ready and it's qualified. Someone has to talk to that person. They have to, you know, interact with them, do a demo, send a proposal, negotiate. And then after the deal's closed, they have to take care of them and expand the business. And then we said, that, okay, and then we start looking at like what exists today for account managers, for sales managers, for business development people, for customer success. And we said, hey, wait a second, this is actually interesting because we're not trying to build full automation to replace these people. We're actually trying to build a hybrid model to help them, you know, get the data and the knowledge they need while they're working to be able to do their job better Then everyone's happy. They're happy because they're closing more deals, building, building better relationships. Their boss is happy because, you know, there's a competent, knowledgeable organization and the customer is happy because they're getting answers quicker. Right. And that's really how we decided to hone in within all the noise of the sales tech landscape on where there's a real gap. And for instance, not to focus in on particular things like, you know, coaching and yes, to focus on things like knowledge management and engagement. And these choices are important because, you know, you've got to be distinct from the other companies that are on the sides and around. And it's hard. It is hard, but it's at the end, you're like finding where you can, create your, your category of one almost, be the only one and yeah, be distinct in terms of the real problem that you're solving. Exactly. What I also hear between the lines is we started to focus on the things that were the hard things to do rather than the low-hanging fruit because possibly in the top of the funnel is where the low-hanging fruit really already is. And everybody had left those areas around knowledge and bringing that together in the moment for later. It's an interesting point. I mean, I think people look at it in very, many different ways. I kind of I interviewed many company CEOs and investors around this. And, you know, it's all about where like an organization is putting its budgets. And if you put it at the very top, you're saying, hey, when I say, if I get the top of the funnel right, I'm going to have many more leads. And if I have many more leads, then I've got the salespeople to take this through the process. But then I'm saying, it's great that you have the leads. But that means that the ratio of leads turning into deals and then expanding from a closed deal to an expanded deals, you can also improve that. And I think in the market we're in today, retention of customers is no less important, if not more important than acquisition of customers, because, you know, it's a highly competitive space. And so that's where we decided to focus. Fantastic. Good. 
Well, nearing the bottom of the hour here, from all the lessons that you've learned, kind of starting companies and running this one yourself, what would be a do and possibly a don't if you would have given advice to tech entrepreneurs that aspire something like you doing? Do look for something that can be genuine, to do that can be genuinely valuable to someone else, okay? Do look for that thing. And I said that slowly and I emphasized every word because, you know, you can be sure that you have found something valuable because someone's using something, but the minute you ask them to pay for it, they won't. And that means you haven't found something valuable, right? So do search for that thing. That's a do. Don't jump into founding something before you've really thought through the space you want to be in, what your strengths are as an entrepreneur, who else you need to compliment you. Be very self-aware of these things because that can save a lot of time. And there's nothing, you know, an entrepreneur is not someone who knows everything or knows better than anyone else. It's someone who's just, you know, has enough motivation and drive and energy possibly to get stuff off the ground and then bring amazing people around them. So, that was a long answer to two very small. <laughs> spot on, spot on. Thank you for that. Pragma AI, where can people go to find out more about the solution and to connect to you to say hi? So connect me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with anyone. As I said at the beginning, I'm a people person, so please reach out. Also, www.pragma.ai. You know, we'll happily give you early access as well. We're going to be launching in Q2, but until then, we're happily giving early access. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And this ends my conversation with Amir. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Amir Konigsberg, co-founder and CEO of Pragma AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.